First Peter chapter 5. Hey, last week we started a series um, called Roadkill, Learning from Roadkill, <clears throat> and uh, gave you an introduction to what we're going to be doing over the next 10 weeks and what we're going to be looking at and how we're going to be applying things. And uh, I'm kind of excited about it. I enjoy uh, preaching this series and studying for it. It's, it's fun. Uh, it's a fun topic on the surface, but when you dig into what the applications mean, um, it's not much, it's, it's not as much fun, I should say. Uh, and I didn't know, my mom talked to me at the front door, I was talking to my sister, brother-in-law, myself uh, at the front door and told a story about my brother yesterday and his daughter. And they, my brother lives in, in uh, South Carolina and apparently there was a big cottonmouth snake in the backyard. That's why I live in the north, the northeast, because we have banned them. Massachusetts, we are the last surviving Soviet socialist country, uh, country in the world, and we have banned poisonous snakes up here. And uh, but my, he, said, he said it was the biggest, snake, biggest cottonmouth he'd ever seen. He took a shovel out there, like a real man dealing with a snake, you deal it with a, with a shovel, right? And he said that thing reared up like, like a cobra was going to strike at him, but he wasn't able to get it. But um, I told that story leading into this. Today's animal, uh, the first animal in our series, is the irresponsible snake. Yes. The irresponsible snake. First Peter chapter 5, beginning at verse 8, we're going to read verses 8 and 9 are our text for this series. It says, be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, we're introduced to the snake. Remember that? We're introduced to uh, <laughs> the snake. and The snake was the form that Satan chose to take on to, uh, to tempt and deceive Eve and, and Adam into the great fall into sin of humanity. So the Bible tells us that the snake is very subtle, very crafty, and it's a cunning animal. Snakes are, if you, if you talk to snakeologists or scientists who study snakes, they, they will tell you that snakes are very smart and snakes are very wily. In fact, they actually, according to these people who study snakes, snakes actually have problem-solving abilities that go beyond their instincts. When I was studying for this, what I thought of, how many of you have watched Jurassic Park? The, the original, man, the, the very first one. Was that not cool? I saw that at the old Bing Theater. On, on Sumner Avenue, and uh, I mean the old, old time, man, it was awesome. And when those, when those uh, big dinosaurs came to life on screen, you remember, this is, we, we grew up with like um, comic books and stuff in my generation, so seeing what really looked truly like a dinosaur on the big screen was crazy. But in that, um, I remember the guy that ran the park, the park warden, talked about the velociraptor and said they they test the fence. They have problem-solving abilities. And that's what I thought of when I thought of the snake. When I read about the snake, scientists believe that they have the ability to work through problems 
in their minds. Now, I don't know how true that is, but it's kind of, got to be honest, it's kind of creepy to me to think that there's a snake out there trying to figure out how to get into my house and bite me in the calf. It's just not my, my idea of a good time. So knowing that or, or hearing that the theory is that snakes have sol problem-solving abilities and them being on the roadkill list in such high numbers is a little surprising in light of the other animals we're going to be talking about. I mean, we're going to be talking on this list. When we go through this series, we're going to be talking about possum. Anybody here ever hit a possum? Yeah, anybody, I mean, if you're, if you're watching online, you can raise your hand, too, if you ever run over a possum. They, uh, possum are, I want to speak ill of God's creation, but they are not the brightest bulb on the tree. Seriously, they just, they just, it, it, yeah. And, and uh, um, armadillos. Did you know that ar more armadillos are killed? They're not run over. They're the number one roadkill animal in America now, the armadillo. Can you believe that? They're not run over, and I'm not giving anything away because we'll cover this in a sermon as well. They're not run over. Armadillos sit on the road, and when a truck, many of them are hit by trucks, and when a truck comes, <laughs> it startles them, and they jump. They jump up in the air, and that's when they get hit. So to hear that a snake is cunning and wily and has problem-solving capabilities, and yet it winds up on the roadkill list with possums and armadillo, it's a little surprising, but they are there. And before we get to the reasons why it's on the list, let's get some snake facts, shall we? There are, and this is very disturbing, there are about 2,900 species of snakes in the world. Of those, about 375 are venomous. At up to 30 feet long, the reticulated python is the longest snake in the world. At a minuscule four inches, the Barbados thread snake is the smallest. We would, people in my neighborhood would call that an earthworm and put it on a hook and fish with it. The green anaconda is the heaviest snake, weighing up to 550 pounds. And if you know, if you ever watched Wild Kingdom with, uh, oh, what was his name? We used to watch it at home all the time. Merlin Perkins. Merlin Perkins, right? Merlin Perkins. Man, if you ever watched, I remember when he was, when Merlin Perkins was wrestling an anaconda in, in, the, uh, in the, the, the Amazon, right? That's, <laughs> the snake was wrapping around him, and, it was, and, uh, and Jim, his sidekick, is on, the, is on the shore narrating the attack. I'm like, dude, how about jumping in and helping? Just a thought. But, <laughs> you know, seriously, hey, look, he's dying from a snake, but that's okay, we've got it on film. <laughs> the green anaconda is the heaviest snake, and anacondas climb trees. Did you know that? That's why I've never gone to the Amazon, right? Um, they climb trees, and they're so big and so heavy, and they're so slow, because constrictors are the slowest snakes in the world. Sometimes when they see their prey come by, they just let go, and they drop on them, and they kill snakes by dropping on their prey. It's kind of, kind of crazy. Death from above. That's a military term. Anyway. <clears throat> snakes are found everywhere except Antarctica. Antarctica is the only continent that does not have snakes, probably because it's incredibly cold there. 
Iceland does not have snakes. Ireland does not. Ireland doesn't have snakes, and they have an entire story, mythology behind why Ireland doesn't have snakes. Right? Look it up sometime. Greenland does not have snakes. And Emma and Robert, if you're watching, New Zealand does not have snakes. Go figure. Which is kind of weird because some of the deadliest snakes in the world live in Australia, which is very close to New Zealand. So thankfully, for people in New Zealand, those snakes can't swim. <laughs> snakes use their forked tongue to smell the air. Belcher's sea snake is the most deadly. Just a few milligrams of its venom can kill over a thousand human beings. Snakes are carnivores. They're meat eaters, which I guess is why many of us should desire to be vegans, so we don't want to be like a snake, right? <laughs> I think one of the creepiest things about snakes is this next fact. Snakes don't have eyelids. Never trust anything that never blinks, right? <laughs> snakes don't have eyelids. So they're always, their eyes are always on whatever. I mean, it's just, it's kind of creepy. <clears throat> snakes can't bite and chew food, so they have to swallow it whole, which is another reason why I enjoy a double stuff Oreo every once in a while, <laughs> because it's got to be a big anaconda to swallow me whole. Just saying. And the sidewinder rattlesnake is the fastest snake in the world. The sidewinder, which lives in the desert of the Southwest, can achieve speeds in sand of up to 18 miles per hour. Just a little slower than I can run. And, <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter. Listen, if I'm with somebody, it doesn't matter if the snake is faster than me. I just have to be faster than the guy with me. Right? As long as I'm faster than the person with me, I think we're gonna be, I think I'm gonna be okay. The black mamba can move at up to 12 miles an hour. Some have claimed that it has reached speeds of 17 miles an hour. The black mamba is so fast and so big and, and so it, it achieves such great lengths that there are, uh, there are stories from Africa of a black mamba, of black mambas having the ability to chase down horses. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. It's going to be a slow horse. But that's how quickly they can move. Black racers here in America, we grew up in Elkton, Maryland, and the field behind us was filled with black racers. We'd Every once in a while, we'd have one come into our yard. Black racers can achieve speeds of up to 10 miles an hour. The slowest snake in the world is the rosy boa that moves about one mile per hour. I could, I could outdo a rosy boa. No problem. On average, snakes move between five to seven miles per hour. So that's kind of a rundown of, of the snake. So what did make the snake make this roadkill list? What are the causes? Why, what's the reason why snakes made this roadkill list? It's not just because of the number of snakes that are killed, but more so because of the unique circumstances that put snakes in this position. Snakes are cold-blooded animals. Most of us remember that from our life science class in 
either freshman year or of high school or whatever year your school had it. They're cold-blooded and they regulate their temperature by either moving to shade or sunning themselves on rocks or in other warm positions. <laughs> this is where the road comes into play because concrete and especially asphalt hold heat. I was just teaching my, my sons that the other day, my two youngest boys. They, they, we were in a parking lot and they got out of the car and they, Michael said, geez, dad, it's really hot. And I was able to teach them a little science, a little science. See, being a homeschool teacher, <laughs> starting to like this gig, but I'm hoping it's ending soon. Um, the, the asphalt and the cement hold heat. And the surrounding area that snakes live in, especially in the desert, the, the sand loses heat quickly. But the asphalt holds it. So many times snakes will leave, will leave the sand and instead of going to rocks, they will get onto the roadway because they will lay on the roadway throughout the night and warm themselves because there is so much heat coming out of the road. Obviously, going onto a major highway at dark, in the dark, at night is not conducive to survival if you plan on just laying around. <clears throat> Another problem for the snakes, one of the reasons they made this list is because snakes move by pushing themselves off of the ground. They use uh, the ground to move themselves. So when they're going through dirt or when they're going through sand is when they can move their fastest because they can push off the sand, they can push off the dirt and get traction that way. Not so on a road surface. When a snake comes to the road, if it chooses to cross, its ability to push off is gone because the road doesn't move. The road surface is hard. It doesn't move, so it slows the snake down. In fact, it slows them down so much that it takes a snake up to three times longer to cross the same amount of road, the, the, the amount of distance on a road than it does to cross just regular ground. Three times longer. <clears throat> Add to all of that the natural um, abilities that are taken away and the inability and, and the natural instincts that cause snakes to get onto the road add to that fact, this fact, many mo Now, you have to be honest here. There's, there's no representative of PETA in the, in the auditorium, and I don't think they can see you online, but how many of you have ever intentionally run over a snake in the road? <laughs> my dad, my dad's like, yeah, buddy, yeah, buddy, all over that. I remember my dad would do that. Yeah, Lewis, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Not saying that I ever have. I've, I've never had the chance. Um, but add to the fact that motorists intentionally go out of their way to run over a snake in the road, and that makes that adds the roadkill numbers adds to the roadkill numbers. A study was done, go figure, man. I mean, so as in America, somebody's gonna study everything, right? There was a group of college students that decided to do a study on snakes getting run over in the road. 
and driver's uh, habits when it comes to snakes in the road. So, so they took a bunch of rubber snakes and they laid them out in the road and they watched and people literally swerved out of their path to run over the snake, not knowing it was a rubber snake. So it's true, you're not alone. People do that intentionally. So I believe that it's safe to say that a snake on a road has little to no chance of surviving any oncoming vehicles. Some snakes, when they encounter a road, will simply turn around and go the other way, but most snakes don't, and that leads to disaster. It is estimated that, a fully, that fully 25% of all snakes will eventually become roadkill. It is estimated that in America, at least 25% of all snakes will become roadkill. And that anywhere from tens of millions to hundreds of millions of snakes have already been killed and will be killed by automobiles in the United States. <clears throat> Gotta be honest, it really doesn't tug at my heart. Just saying. <clears throat> For a snake, crossing the road is dangerous. By the way, fear of snakes is the number one fear in human beings. 51% of all human be of all, well, it's an American study. 51% of all Americans fear snakes. Any of, I mean, I'm not crazy about a garter snake. I've run over, not intentionally, but I've run over garter snakes with a riding lawnmower. You hear something, you know, you're going along, and you look and there's this thing, cartwheeling through the road and it's a snake. And I, you know, I didn't give it a decent burial. Here's the breakdown of the snake's mistaken decision to try and cross a road. The snake freely and willingly leaves a place of safety and puts itself into a place of grave danger. If a snake would stay safely off the road and find a rock to warm itself on, it would not be run over by a car. Listen, for centuries, millennia, there were no asphalt roads for snakes. So they had to find rocks. So if a snake would just do what God provided for it to do by finding a warm, natural place for it to keep its body regulated, then the snake wouldn't be roadkill. But not only does a snake intentionally enter a danger zone, it also puts itself in a place where its assets of speed are nullified. Its assets of smell are nullified. The asset of, of its eyes never closing are nullified. And remember, sometimes drivers intentionally run them over. Snakes leave the choice and responsibility for their safety up to someone else who truly does not have their best interest at heart. You can tell, I think, hopefully, by the sarcastic way I've presented this, that I'm not a fan of snakes. I like to go into the snake house at a zoo because I know they can't get to me. But I, I went to the, the, um, the Tulsa Zoo one time and they had a diamondback rattlesnake. And when I walked in front of that diamondback rattlesnake's, um, in, in his thing, his, where he lives, there's a big thick glass wall between us. That thing coiled up and the rattle started going 
and he raised his head and looked at me. I was like, dude, I don't even know you, right? And I watched that for a little while, and then I walked away. And I had to come back, and then when I came back, same thing happened. Didn't do that for anybody else that was there, just me. It's like my grandkids. My, my grandkids scream when I come near them. Like, what is this? So I started playing a game with the stupid snake. Like, now you see me, now you don't. And every time I got back into the picture, coiled up, head up, rattle going crazy. I can leave, you can't. That was my attitude. <clears throat> I know that sounds cruel and mean, but it doesn't take a whole lot to entertain me. The snake's one fatal flaw is that it is comfortable being in hazardous, perilous places. It's comfortable being in hazardous, perilous places. In short, the snake is irresponsible. We would never teach our children. In fact, many of us have children that we have to teach. No, you don't lay down in the street, right? You don't run out and play in the street. You don't put yourself in those situations, yet snakes do. But snakes aren't the only creation of God that are irresponsible with their lives. Every day the earth spins, Christians make conscious decisions to put themselves in grave danger, spiritually speaking. Choices are made that go completely contrary to biblical teaching, and warning signs are ignored. The result is sin. Broken lives, broken marriages, broken homes, lost credibility, lost opportunity, lost souls for eternity. You see, this is where we make the twist, okay? It's all fun and games until we start, until we start applying it to our lives. We can laugh and joke about the irresponsibility and the foolishness of a snake going onto a major highway because we know what could happen. Now, you can think that snakes have problem-solving capabilities, but I don't think they're that bright because even I know not to go on a major highway and lay down at night, yet snakes do that. For us as followers of Jesus, it's so unnecessary, yet it's entirely true. Many of us as followers, uh, as many of our fellow believers, many of us willfully and irresponsibly put, us, put ourselves into troubling, disturbing, dangerous situations as it pertains to our walks with Jesus. Many times we find ourselves in situations that we never dreamed we would be in and have no idea how to get out of. So where does the danger lie for followers of Jesus? What are the irresponsible things that we do? The first one is this. We as followers of Jesus many times will put ourselves in danger because we enter into irresponsible relationships. We enter into irresponsible relationships. We'll say, well, that's... That's out of line, Pastor John. That's just, that's just your opinion. You, you, just, you just don't want me to have any friends. You just don't want me to have fun. Take it how you want. I'm just going to give you scripture, okay? How about we do that? 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. 
So you can take a shot at me and you can say all you want about my, my way of viewing these things, but the Bible clearly says, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you intentionally choose to have as close friends those who live willfully in sin or spiritually neglectful lifestyles, you are in danger of corrupting your own morality. If you intentionally and willfully, as a Christian, have as your close personal friends, your confidants, the ones <laughs> that you allow to influence your life, people who live sinfully, openly, willfully, sinful lives, and people who live neglectfully spiritual lives, you are putting yourself in grave danger, spiritually speaking. I remember as a teenager, it was very popular back in the, in the 70s when I was in youth groups, and we'd go to youth rallies. <laughs> they talked about peer pressure, and the, the, the speaker would, would bring a, me a message on peer pressure many times. And he would use an illustration because uh, those kind of illustrations work real well with, with students and visual uh, type of things. And he would have somebody come up, and it didn't matter whether it was a, uh, he, he, sometimes the speaker would have a girl come up on stage, not anything against women, just, I'm just, you'll, you'll see where I'm going, okay? And it'd have the girl up on stage, then they'd have a young man come up, and usually it was one of the guys that always ran his mouth before the service and was Joe Cool. And he'd be down, down on the floor, and she'd be up on the stage. And he'd say, okay, you try to pull her down. That was very difficult for a young man to pull a girl off the stage just flat-footed like that. And then, I mean, I mean, it was very easy. He would pull her right off. But then to try to pull the person from the floor up was amazingly difficult. The whole idea behind that was it's easy to pull somebody down, but it's incredibly hard to pull someone up. And see, if we would, would learn the lesson that was taught to teenagers as adults, we would have people in our lives who lift us up rather than pull us down. We would not be constantly falling into sin because of our friends. Now, I'm not taking responsibility off each and every one of us. We all have the responsibility for the choices in our lives. But listen, if you hang out and, and, are, and do nothing but get fed into, by, into your life by people who have no desire for God, and consistently and constantly make excuses for not reading their Bible, not going to church, not praying, do nothing but criticize the church, criticize the pastor, criticize everybody that's in church, then what do you think that is going to do to you? You remember the old phrase, right? For computers, garbage in, garbage out. A computer is only going to spit out what you put into it. Folks, irresponsible relationships puts you in danger of being roadkill, spiritually speaking. Why? Because you begin to see their lifestyle as normal. Because you begin to justify their actions. And you begin to spend less and less time pursuing Jesus. I'll say this, man. If you spend more time in a bar with your friends than you do in Bible study, there's a problem. Point blank and personal. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 say, But know this, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of, of self, lovers of... You, as I read this, 
you just kind of make a mental note of things and see if this does not describe American culture today, okay? And it says, in the last days. So you put all of this together, and maybe we've got something to think about. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good. By the way, when we go to that brutal part, did you see that the governor of Massachusetts just called up a thousand members of the National Guard because of the protests in Boston? Man, it's all over the place violence and brutality in our society from both sides from both sides i'm not gonna i'm not gonna see i'm not gonna take my own bait cliff i'm not gonna go there okay i'm just gonna move on without love for what is good traitors reckless conceited lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of god holding i love it when people tell me you know pastor i i can't come on sundays because i just have to get away okay Okay, listen, you, I'm not your judge, man. I'm not the one you have to explain these things to. But what you're telling me, if I'm, if I'm gonna be just a person standing from the outside, looking in, if you want my professional opinion, because that's what I do for a living, I'm gonna say that you fall into that category. You're a lover of pleasure more than you are a lover of God. Listen, my son's getting ready to play fall baseball. I'm a head coach on one of their teams. I don't know how I got roped into that, but I am. <laughs> Their games times, well, somebody else wearing a red Dodgers hat is going to be helping me. Help his little brothers. That's right. That's right. Got to come to practice. That's right. <laughs> so their games, on, they're playing Saturdays and Sundays. You know what the start time of the Sunday games are? One of the start times? Nine o'clock. I had to tell the league that one of two things is going to happen. Either they're not playing, or, but Michael and Gabriel come to the second service with Aaron, because that's when we have children's ministry. Um, or they're going to have to leave their game early. I don't have a problem with them playing at 9 o'clock, but when 10.20 comes around, it's time to leave the game and go to church. Well, that's so cruel to me. No, it's not. Listen, my boys are not going to go to heaven because they're good baseball players. My sons will grow stronger and be, and they're not going to be good people. Some of the, some of the, some, some pretty bad people play professional sports. If you haven't noticed my boys will draw closer to God just like their older brother drew closer to God and submitted to the call of full-time ministry because the walk with Jesus was more important than anything else in their lives and that's what my boys are gonna learn and by the grace of God that will get into them holding to a form of godliness but denying its power Old King James says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Oh, they may talk spiritually. They may talk a good game. They may look a good game. They may put posts on Facebook about how, how, you know, whatever. But their life doesn't show it. And look what Paul told Timothy. Now, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor. P P Timothy is not only a pastor, but Timothy is a man who, um, who, uh, who taught others. And Paul, he was like a problem solver for Paul. Paul would so send Timothy to a church that was having trouble because Timothy was so close to Paul. 
You know what Paul said to Timothy at the end of this, this list? Avoid those people. Look at it. Avoid these people. Avoid these people. No, I know, I know, in, in our modern day of era of technology and, and how knowledge has increased so much, we are much smarter and much better Christians and, and much closer to Jesus than Paul was, right? So we have the ability to do what Paul said Timothy shouldn't. By the way, <laughs> Paul was called personally by Jesus, and, and it's probably very possible, very probable, that Paul, even though he wasn't a believer at the time, followed Jesus because he was a Pharisee and he was a Pharisee's Pharisee. So many of the Pharisees followed around to hear Jesus teach so they could have ammunition to come back at him. So, Because remember, they tried to find anything to arrest him. And it's very probable that Paul was one of them. So Paul actually heard, probably heard Jesus teach personally. But we have much more knowledge of how to deal with people than Paul did. You see, we're not much different than the snake because the snake slithers up into a dangerous area fully, know, full, fully in view of oncoming cars and the people driving those cars more times than not will have intentionally run them over with the intent to kill them. I, our text verse says Satan goes about with cruel, malicious intent to destroy your life. Christian, when is that going to get into your mind? When is that going to grip your heart that Satan doesn't have good plans for you? That Satan will use people to bring into your life to destroy your walk with Jesus. Oh, but I love them so much. You can love them and you can enjoy being in their company without allowing them to be the great influence on your life. Because when you allow ungodly people and when you allow ungodly Christians to be the great influence in your life, they are doing nothing but dragging you down like an anchor will drag you down if they tie it to your foot and throw you in the ocean. That's just the fact of the matter. Gentlemen, ladies, why is it dangerous to have irresponsible relationships? Because you begin to lay a foundation with a member of the opposite sex that can compromise your morality and perhaps ruin your marriage. The most brutal conversations I've had in my years of ministry are those with people of broken marriages who intentionally started what they thought and what they considered to be harmless relationships when in truth they were irresponsible because the Bible warns us, warns us to be careful of our relationships with the opposite sex. Go ahead, go ahead. Put yourself in dangerous situations. I can, I could, I, and it, my father and mother could, could give you list after list after list of not just people in church. I'd give you lists of pastors and pastor's wives. I think 
and I, see, I, I was going to be sarcastic there, and I can't be because this is too serious. I believe there's a story in the news right now about a, about a great, lifted up as a great Christian leader, and it wasn't, it wasn't just him, it was his wife. Irresponsible relationships can destroy your marriage. They can destroy your life. Matthew 7, 5 says, Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. There's nothing beneficial or profitable that comes from an irresponsible relationship for a follower of Jesus. As Gary Bertier said in Remember the Titans, sometimes you just have to know when to cut a man loose. Sometimes you just have to know when to cut a man loose. Folks, you can feel guilty, it can hurt your heart, but you have to stand before God to answer for your walk with him. And I would much rather, I would much rather endure a little heartache here on earth than the embarrassment of standing before my savior and saying a relationship with a buddy that I could go out to the bar and have a beer with and watch a football game and talk the way I shouldn't talk and say things I shouldn't say and, and not have a concern in the world about winning that person to Christ or sharpening them as a Christian was more important than living a holy life for you. Second area, and we'll be quick, irresponsible freedom. We get irresponsible with our freedom. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ set us free. And I love that phrasing, don't you? For freedom, he set us free. He set us free to be free. <laughs> That's why Christ gave you freedom. He set you free for freedom. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, and then 19 through 20 say, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. Listen, let's get something very, very, very clear. You have the free will as a human being, and even as a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the free will to do whatever it is that you choose to do. You have the free will. Nobody can stop you. People can tell you what they want, all they want, but you have the free will to do whatever you choose. You want to you, you uh, you, you pursue something other than Jesus? That's your choice. You want to follow Jesus closely and give your whole life to him, that's your choice. You want to live in sin as a follower of Jesus. That's your choice. But, and I, I saw some reactions out there like, oh my gosh, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that you have free will. You didn't lose your free will just because you accepted Jesus as your Savior. 
You still have free will to make your own choice. That's why we see Christians fall into sin. That's why we see Christians walk away from church. That's why we see Christians do what they do, because you still have free will. In other words, you can say, I still have free will. I say, you still have the responsibility to make the choices to follow Jesus Christ. Because along with that responsibility of free will comes this, not everything is wise for you to do. Not everything is wise for you to do as a follower of Jesus. Not everything is beneficial for your walk with God. Not everywhere is safe for you to be. And not everything, and by the way, when I, when I get to that, I'm not a pastor who, who counsels battered women to take their children and go back into the home with a man who beats the stuffing out of them. I say get out of there and get out of there fast. You know why? Because he might just kill you. But secondly, you know why? Because you are perpetuating a cycle for your children to be the same way when they grow up. Those are facts. Not everywhere is safe for you to be. Oh, you may, you may, people may say, oh, she's so courageous. Oh, she's so this. Uh, I think you're so foolish. I'm just, uh, that's just my honest opinion. Staying with, with someone who just beats you all the time and abuses you is not only damaging for you, but if you have children, it's terrible for them. <laughs> Listen, I got, I got two sons I adopted from DCF. At the age of nine, they've been with us for almost seven, going on seven years now. And, uh, and those little boys still deal with trauma from the trying to be nice for those individuals who gave them life and that's about it and a whole lot of mess to deal with and that includes people in the foster care system because step out from behind here so I give my opinion because they don't really want Christians in foster care in Massachusetts did you know that they don't really want us my wife and I had to be approved by the, the, the woman that runs DCF for the state, the secretary of DCF. The only higher, only higher signature we could have had was Governor Patrick. And the only reason was because I was a man, a Christian, and a pastor. And that comes from people who worked in that office. Another children's pastor from over, used to be over at Cornerstone, same thing because they were Christians. They don't want Christians. Listen, folks. Not everything and not everywhere is safe for you. There is, there are bad choices that you can make. Not everything helps to build the kingdom of God. In fact, irresponsible choices made with irresponsible freedom can make you an enemy of the cross. Quickly, irresponsible living. Hebrews 10, 26 says, For if we deliberately go on sinning after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 says, For it is impossible to renew to repentance those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared in the Holy Spirit, who tasted the good word and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away. Galatians 5.13 says, For you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. 
What does that mean, that you can lose your salvation if you fall into sin? I don't believe so. I believe the Bible says that Jesus gave us everlasting life, and he brought us into it, and, he, and, and we cannot take ourselves out of it. John 10, 28 through 30 says that we are in Jesus' hand, and Jesus is in the God's Father, God the Father's hands, and no one can take us out of those hands. I take that literally, that we cannot be taken out. But what can happen is you can get to a place of willful and continued sin in your life that, they're no lo- that, that the Holy Spirit no longer has an effect on you, and that God literally steps away from you and takes away his covering. And you are no longer living in the blessing of God. You are literally living your life on your own. God is not responsible to bless you. God's promises do not apply to you as ter- in terms of blessed living because you have, li- you have gotten into yourself so deep into sin that you are brazen to the things of God. You are so irresponsible in your living and your walk that none of it matters to you anymore and you have become a hardened Christian who works against the church, not with the church. Getting too comfortable with sin can have dire consequences. When you're out of your Christian element, you are vulnerable to deadly attacks. When you're out of your Christian element, when you have not prepared yourself for your day and you think you can handle it on your own, man, you are so vulnerable to Satan. That's exactly what he wants you to think. By the way, the reason I can speak so passionately and so honestly about this is because I'm in the same boat. I deal with these same things. You think preparing a sermon is a lot of fun? (laughs) I got to get up here and say this stuff, right? And it applies to me. I get beat up all week long. You only have to deal with like 45 minutes. (laughs) Stop using the Bible to justify what is clearly not justifiable with the Bible. I see. I am going to say this. I see Christians trying to justify the violence in the streets in America today. You can, I'm just going to say it. You cannot be that stupid. You cannot be that blind to the word of God. Do you think Jesus would patrol the streets with an AR-15? Do you think Jesus would go about spewing hatred towards others just because he doesn't agree with their position? Do you think just because Jesus wouldn't support your candidate that he would turn around and cuss you out and call you everything except a good person? Then why do you do it? Oh, maybe you take off your WWJD bracelet, right? Come on, folks. Hey, have the feelings you want, but don't blame them on God, right? Don't try to justify hatred, anger, politics, racism, immorality, cheating, and staying out of church with the Bible. Don't. Just don't. Because other people... Those outside who don't know Jesus, they may think you're really cool, but those of us who know the word of God have pity on your soul because you've got a whole lot to answer for before God. And you thought this was all going to be fun and games. So very quickly, what lesson can we learn from the irresponsible snake? First one is this, be honest with yourself. Could we have some honesty, folks? Be honest with yourself. If you're struggling in your walk with the Lord, admit it. That's why I love, 
I love, you may wonder why I don't go to the men's meetings. Because I've got men who can lead. I've got men who are burdened for other men. And I want those men to use their gifts to reach other men. Because like it or not, people act differently around the pastor than they do around other people. And that may not be, you may not agree with that. You may think I'm wrong. That's okay. You're not the pastor. You don't have to answer for my life. I've prayed about it. I have peace about it. And I am totally comfortable with these men leading this. You may wonder, well, I'm sure you don't wonder why I don't go to the latest Bible studies. <laughs> I have women that can lead. I, I don't tell her this. I won't deny it because it's on tape. It's not tape anymore, it's video, right? <laughs> I'm old, Jonathan, I'm sorry. The day my sister Donna and her husband Mike came back to this church, after their church closed, I don't dance because I was raised a good Baptist boy. And plus, I don't have much melanin in my skin. I'm not a dancer. But I was so thankful to God that he led that couple back. Because if you haven't listened to her, and you haven't been in her Bible study, you should be. My sister Donna knows what she's talking about. She's a good Bible teacher. My brother-in-law, Mike, is a godly man who has a heart for men and knows how to share his heart with other people. If you're struggling, we have people in this church that can help you out. If you're struggling in your walk, we have people that can talk with you. We have an assistant pastor who knows how to reach your teenage child. We have a Portuguese-speaking pastor who knows how to reach Portuguese-speaking people. And I better hurry because the 1030 service people are starting to walk in, okay? If you're doubting your actions, admit it. If you know, <laughs> if you know you're in sin, admit it. And hey, folks, if you know you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior... If you know that if you died right now, you don't have the assurance of heaven, guess what? You need to admit that. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that Jesus died to pay the price for your sin. You can't be good enough to get to heaven. Have we not all learned that by our age? But admit that Jesus' sacrifice will pay the price for your sins, and that if you just accept that sacrifice and pray and ask him into your heart, he will give you the gift of eternal life. You see, folks, we've got to be responsible with our living as Christians. Stop letting your foolish pride make matters worse. Proverbs 28, 13, the one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Understand this, your actions do affect others for good or bad. You can read Romans 14, 15 through 17 on your own. You have no scriptural right to encourage or embolden a brother or sister in Jesus to make bad spiritual decisions. You have no scriptural right. Next, it's important to consider the damage that you can do. 2 Corinthians 6.3 says we are not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry will not be blamed. You can destroy someone else's walk with Jesus with your irresponsible actions. And lastly, God expects you to make responsible choices. 
Romans 14, 10 through 12, but you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God does not excuse, nor does he condone irresponsible Christianity. In fact, quite the opposite. He expects more out of us. Learn a lesson from the snake, folks. The irresponsible snake. Learn a lesson and live. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, thank you for the the endurance of these people because we went long. Father, I pray for each and every person here and each and every person watching that what we talked about this morning will dig into their hearts and their lives. Father, I pray that if there's anyone who has a need, they will reach out. With every head bowed and every eye closed right now, nobody's looking around. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor John, I am struggling with my irresponsibility as a Christian, and I'm asking you to pray. I'm not going to come and point you out. I'm not going to come and, and uh, drag you down. Thank you for those, that honesty. Anybody raise their hand and say, would you please pray for me, Pastor John? Thank you so much. Please pray for me. Thank you, because I want to be responsible with my walk. Thank you so much. Let me ask you this question. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that it was, has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you died right now, you don't know if you'd go to hell. You have no understanding. You have no, uh, no peace in your heart about that. I wonder if you'd raise your hand and say, Pastor John, would you please pray for me? Listen, I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to drag you out of your chair. I'm not even going to ask you to come down here to the altar. I'll just lead a, a prayer for you. Right now, we, I know we, we, we have some limitations on us, but is there anyone who will raise their hand and say, Pastor John, would you please pray for me? Thank you so much. Listen, the Bible says that, that Jesus died for our sins because we couldn't pay the price for ourselves. The Bible says that we must simply ask Jesus to come into our hearts and take away our sin. And we do that by, pr- by talking to him through prayer. And it's a prayer, something like this. And, and listen, I'm going to go ahead and say a prayer, and you can repeat after me. But just repeating a prayer isn't what it's all about. It's about accepting that truth in your heart that what you're doing is asking Jesus to forgive you from your sin and to take that sin away and give you eternal life. Prayer is something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that there's nothing that I can do to get myself to heaven. I know that you died on the cross to pay the price for my sins. I ask you right now to forgive me, to come into my heart and save me. I take possession of your gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I wonder if there's anybody who would raise their hand and say, I prayed that prayer, Pastor John. Thank you so much. Prayed that prayer. Thank you so much. Listen, if you're on, watching us on Facebook or YouTube, you can just shoot us a message. You can private message us or you can put it on the feed and say, I prayed that prayer and asked Jesus into my heart. Those of you who are believers, who are struggling, listen, I'm committing to you that I'm going to pray for you. These are difficult, tough times. We need to be responsible with our walk. Father, thank you so much for the honesty of your people. 
Lord, I pray for those who raise their hand and say they're struggling. God, I pray that you will draw them close to you. I pray that you'll give them the passion and the power to say enough is enough. I'm going to follow Jesus fully. And God, give them the courage to take steps of responsibility and responsible living in their lives. God, bless these people. Bless those who came out today. Bless those who watched us. God, bless your church. And may we honor you in all things. In your name we pray. Amen.